One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Can you talk? Z X Y W V U T S R Q P O N N L K J Because no one else can. Okay. okay. I'll learn it one day. We have four pages of things we want to ask you. I want you to ask me anything that that you thought perhaps was um, maybe half explained on the documentary or anything that you think people might be curious about because obviously you know me so well. I think you're going to be very interested in the questions we ask. We get are we very, rolling now? Yeah, we are. If okay. you guys haven't already guessed by his iconic voice, we wrote a little introduction for you. So did you really? We mm-hmm. did. Okay. Today, we mm-hmm. have an extremely special episode for you guys. Not only are we bringing back a highly requested guest, but this guest is also giving us an exclusive, in-depth interview about his new Netflix documentary that came out on November 3rd. If you haven't already guessed it, sitting here with us today is none other than our dad, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Studio audience. And the studio audience too. is just Jennifer Stallone sitting in the background. Is she flapping around? Right She's flapping. Yeah, she is floppy okay. bird right now. My good luck charm. This is just so surreal. By the way, thank you so much for doing this and coming on our show. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but, you know. Oh, of course, girl. We appreciate I mean, this. I, I think I find this to be quite interesting because the documentary turned out to be somewhat of a surprise Yeah. Mm-hmm. because I cannot take credit for anything other than just answering the questions that the director asked right. and as honestly as I could. And what was so interesting is, you know, when you're going to do an interview, and I certainly have done a lot, you sort of prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. But what was so unique is I'd be walking down the hall and he'd start asking questions and there's no makeup, no hair, anything. Right. And you're just going to get a coffee. And like what anyone would normally do, you start talking and you become completely unselfconscious mm-hmm. because oh, you're like this, you're like this. As opposed to, oh, my God, I have to sit in the chair right. and I have to look this way. And the questions are more formal. He was very brilliant, Tom. His name was Tom Zimmy, and I gave him all the credit. Yeah, he did an incredible job. I mean, Stina, I've watched it a couple times, and even now we still are affected by it. And we did read the headlines, and it was alternatively illuminating and evasive. Another called it reflective and vulnerable. And I feel like a lot of times in your career with a lot of the things you put out there, Mm -hmm. the reviews are very polarizing. It can either go one way or the other way. So how did it feel hearing such positive reviews back on something that is very personal to you? Well, obviously it's somewhat of a shock because it's not often I get gratifying Mm -hmm. reviews. And Mm -hmm. I think it was also a little frustrating because I thought, God, you would think after 50 years people would know you. And then I realized perhaps I really haven't shown a lot of myself in cinema of who I really am. Well, to their point... Sophie and I watched the documentary several times, and to be quite honest, there was a lot of things in this documentary that we were shocked to find out about you. Hmm. And I've known you for about 25 years, so I thought I knew everything about you. But it really did show a great insight into your brain of why you do the things you do, why you wrote the lines you wrote, what your feelings were in certain scenes. And that's what I think people weren't understanding Hmm. before. And I guess... Kind of the big question is, 
why now? Why make a documentary now? People already know your rags to riches stories, how you started, where you became. So why now at your age did you feel the need? I actually want to share this with people. It's a good question because I didn't feel this overwhelming impulse. Matter of fact, it was something that I, I, I shied away from because mm -hmm. I thought everyone does know pretty much if they don't know me by now, I must have done a thousand television interviews. But the, I said the one thing I haven't done, and a lot of actors don't, is why you are the way you are. Mm -hmm. Why do I gravitate towards a certain character as opposed to that other one that would perhaps be more popular? What dark side pulls you in, and then what other side, the bright side, which is the rocky side? So it was kind of an exploration that I didn't want to take because I sort of knew the answer, and mm -hmm. it all starts when you're very young, <clears throat> when yeah. you're a child. And and I, I think I said it in the documentary that people don't realize how impressionable and vulnerable mm -hmm. when you're young, you are, like I said, soft clay. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a really bad household. It, it, it was tough. I, I don't want to sit there and cause, you know, throw aspersions and this and that, but it was not a household. Everyone was extremely unhappy with who they were. Right. Meaning my mother and father, they certainly weren't parents. In other words, mm -hmm. they, they said, oh, I can't wait to raise a happy, normal family mm -hmm. when both of them were completely discontent with who they were. And you think, okay, is this what it's really like? Because, girls, I, believe it or not, I spent the first four and a half, five years in a boarding house mm -hmm. in Jackson Heights. And for a lot of people that don't know what a boarding house is, it's basically a couple of bedrooms and, and run by an older woman. And it's a not a flop house, but it's transient. Mm -hmm. Salesmen coming in, stewardesses, people that are on the move. And I'd sit at this table with adults and I'm four years old, and no one talked to me, and I just look around, and I'm going, I have no one to really relate to. And then the next day, they'd be gone, and it'd be another stranger, and another stranger. And I think it truly affected the way I interacted with people. Mm -hmm. I was kind of a, a loner because of that reason. Well, there was a really interesting point that you made in your documentary. I don't think a lot of people picked up on, but I did. You had said that your mom was nervous to have you. She didn't want you. Not at right? all. And I thought to myself, you quite literally came into the world unwanted. Oh, yeah. And your first experience of life was you felt this negative energy. I don't want this kid. He, you know, your dad wasn't excited. Your mom wasn't excited. Did you ever, as a child feel that at any moment when you're cognizant enough to understand, oh, wow, I, I actually don't feel loved, feel uh, it, anything. It's, it's odd because the earmarks are there. I, I, I'm a little hesitant, but two incredibly uh, repetitive because it was told to me so many times. My mother would say, the only reason you're here is because the hanger didn't work or bouncing down those steps didn't cause you to get lost. 
And she said that, you know, truthfully, Sylvester, and believe it or not, they called me Binky because there was a hairbrush called the Binky brush. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it said Binky. You know, if there was really something wrong with your brain, I would have definitely opened up the window and put you on the windowsill and let you freeze. Because I'd be doing you a favor. <laughs> it, you know, your brain is too young to compute. I almost thought she was joking. Yeah, yeah. of course. Well, yeah, thing. I mean, what type of mother says that to their child? I mean, that's actually something I've we've been questioning when we were watching the documentary. Is between us, we all know, you know, the the abuse you went through with your mother. But yeah. you and we definitely want to dive into your father's psyche and like the why he did the things he did to you and how it affected your, you know, creative process and your future. Right. But what was the decision of leaving your mother out when she had just as much impact on your upbringing as he did? I thought it would be too much for the audience. Mm. I thought that they would say, ah, he's making this up or perhaps mm. he's looking for sympathy. Because it was, it, it's... You know, when you're young, you're kind of naive and foolish. You go, maybe everyone's mother is like this. Right. I never really hung out with other people, so I didn't know what a happy home was. I thought yeah. this is a normal, op- you know, modus operandi. Right. But as I got older, I realized there was uh, some critically bad behavior going on. And then as I got older, I realized perhaps they are just... Um, a product of their upbringing, mm-hmm. yeah. which wasn't necessarily so, but I kept thinking, oh, maybe they're... But my mother was... Um, hmm. She was a... She was a troubled person. She was uh, put into an orphanage, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, a very cruel orphanage because her father had remarried and the new stepmother hated her. Mm-hmm. And I think my mother was also kind of rebellious. So she was put into a, a an orphanage that it's unlike the ones they have today. It was, you know, you're tied to the bed, you're whipped, and you're, she was terribly molested. Wow. And I think... Her ability to ever show love mm-hmm. was short-circuited. She literally mm-hmm. couldn't stand to be touched or mm-hmm. touch I, at all. I mean, not so even a hug. as a child, though, yeah. touch is the most important thing you can yeah. give a kid. Right. So how did her lack of touch towards you, skin-on-skin contact, affect you long-term? I mean, did it affect the way that you view meaningful relationships or developing even friendships with people? How did their lack of being available to you carry with you long term? I, I um, well, I could tell, you could ask my wife, I didn't like being touched. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't handle it. I, you know, any sort of affection, touch mm-hmm. like this, it was so alien mm-hmm. that it made me incredibly uncomfortable. And I just literally come to terms with, with, of course, your mother, which I love now, but she'll tell you for years. Right. Um, 
I just thought that was normal. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, you remember just holidays alone, how uncomfortable yeah. growing up it made you. I mean, you had to truly relearn how to have a healthy relationship when mom came into the picture and having a family because you weren't used to, you know. Yeah, do you remember? Normalcy. I, 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 yeah. I didn't like Christmas. No. Board games. No. <laughs> Forget Actually, it. Actually, in, in Rocky, if that's when I wrote one of the lines where Adrian comes out. He goes, but it's a special day. It's Thanksgiving. I said to you, to me, it's Thursday. Right. And that's the way, that's true. True. Yeah. Well, I To me. What mm-hmm. I think a lot of people loved throughout this documentary is how many hidden messages you explained that were in your dialogue. For example, one of my favorite ones, and I had no idea, <laughs> okay. was when Mickey comes to your door, yeah. and you did a take, and then you did another take, and that second take was really what you wanted to say to your dad. Right. But you never did. No. Why didn't you? I didn't have the guts. I, I, don't, I, I was afraid of him, and I don't think I was articulate enough. Mm. And um, when I wrote the screenplay, that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I said, there's something, I, I got to do something to, to explain the frustration of wanting to say this, but you can't say it, but you can say it to a door, but when a man's face is in front of you, it just froze yeah. up. And because I was, I was afraid of him. Of course. Because there was no joke. There was no joke. And I thought, my God, this is so great that right. I got a chance to do this in Rocky, <laughs> which I, what I couldn't do in reality. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty much a very a biographical moment. Mm-hmm. So when all of this was going on, and a lot right. of people I think can experience, you know, they've had situations with their parents where abuse was happening growing up. What kind of survival tactics did you do to kind of, you know, survive the day? I feel like when you're alone. Hmm. Survival. Yeah. I didn't... It wasn't as though I had, okay, here's plan A, plan B. Mm-hmm. I was so caught up in unreality, mm-hmm. non-reality, fiction. I, I never went to school, and I would always uh, kind of identify with cartoon figures, mm-hmm. mythical Superman, Batman, this thing, uh, you, yeah. you name it. It got to the point that I actually would sometimes make these horrible costumes Mm-hmm. out of a, a barber's cape and a pair of uh, bathing suit right. and go to school under the clothes, I would be, I'd feel like I'm the real character. And they don't so know cute. that. Oh, yeah, I know. It's all right. Until I got busted. And then <laughs> oh, it was no. pretty embarrassing. Like, hell, oh, we have a special guest here today. Oh, Superboy, would you like to oh, stop no. up? And I take off my shirt and my bony no. legs. And I go, oh, That's my actually God. So yeah, would you like to fly around the room for us? I go, then <sighs> they... Back then, they had a thing called a dunce cap. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. gosh. I oh, yeah. It actually yeah. existed. That's I know we see the cartoons. I got, you know. I, you got like the dunce, dunce cap. Oh, yeah. As Superboy. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that, that completely makes sense for your childhood to be doing things like that. Yeah. You're, you're longing so hard for an idol or a role model or someone <laughs> right. to look up to. So, right. But you wanted to be that. So oh, you, my God, because it, it, I'm sorry, my nose is running. Uh, what I wanted to do was just find something that would make me heroic. Right. For some reason, I always wanted to garner some sympathy or something. And because right. and, and, uh, I wasn't getting it at home. And mm-hmm. I, then I became sort of a, a thief. Right. Because I would, whatever I could find. For example, in my father's pocket, it'd be like five or six bucks. <laughs> Believe it or not, 
it's kind of dangerous. I would take the money, let it be five ones mm-hmm. or quarters or whatever, and go to school and give it to people. Like, you want to be my friend? Stop. Stop. Oh, that sure. sounds like something Sustine used to do growing up. But what, pay for friendship? Well, you yeah. used to give people goldfish. Pay people right? for friendship. <laughs> you used to give people goldfish. <laughs> friendship for sale. Friendship for okay. sale. Well, okay. it seems a little like, different. Uh, yeah. It seems like a lot of the things that when it, from your parents' abuse, then yeah. the way that they treated you growing up, well, it garnered a lot of attention and seeking that. And then also, do you think a lot of the deep wounds that you got from them created this creative obsessionness that you developed now? Like you were always looking at movies, always writing, always trying to be the hero, you know, as an escapism? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. There was a, I spent hours, that sounds so sick, but there was a really cheap in my mother's bedroom, three-way kind of mirror, you know, mm-hmm. you get it in, you can see all sides. And if you get in there, you see like 2,500 figures yeah. in yourself. Mm-hmm. I would spend hours in that thing because you're moving around and go, look how many friends I have and look right. at me. Like, and you constantly entertain yourself for hours as opposed to playing sports or this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it, now I look at it, so that that's, wasn't a very healthy thing. But truthfully... I also look at it as this is a preface or a, a, a prelogue to where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. I felt so comfortable in mm-hmm. this kind of fake world, imitating songs and this and that, that that was my reality. And stepping outside that mirror, it was, damn, I don't, I don't feel comfortable at all. Because I didn't hang out with people. I didn't yeah. play sports, really. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, I was a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. I got into a lot of altercations because I was so odd. But I I never had a, like, a team. Let's let's go Mm -hmm. play baseball and whatever. And no, never. But that mirror and that area, that kind of fantasy world Mm -hmm. provided unlimited entertainment for me and escapism. Well, that makes sense because you're not getting attention from anywhere else. It makes sense. I think it's crazy. No, but understanding how you grew up and what you went through, you just wanted entertainment. You wanted attention. And so who was going to give it to you? No one. You make it for yourself. And that makes sense to why you got kicked out of 14 schools, why you get in fights with people. 13. Don't get carried away. So sorry, you guys. 13. My mistake. Or why you got into fights with people, because it really was just this longing for attention. And that definitely showed throughout the documentary when you were explaining how you know, you wanted attention from the public. So you'd go to the theaters, you'd look up at the screen, and all these people are watching that one guy. And mm-hmm. you wanted to be that guy. I don't know if I was that early on, though. Okay. I knew that going to films, I was looking for definitely a male role model. Right, yeah. 100%. And those role models were never really, what I call, good actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would be, not even cowboys, it would be... Always mythical figures, Hercules, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, Jason and the Argonauts, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Fantasy, dealing with creatures. So mythology has been my go-to fantasy my whole life. Matter of fact, I, I believe that my entire career is based on that. Mm-hmm. In other words, Rambo was mythological. So right. Rambo is kind of like what, what a kind of weird hero, but he... He, he was almost a superhero mm-hmm. in times because 
How can he survive these battles? He has no skill. He's a terrible fighter. He's this and that. But there was just something that propelled him. And that's my fantasy. Like yeah. people always rising above their abilities. Right. Well, that's actually funny because Sistine and I, we <laughs> equally agreed on this. And we said, funny you said that. We, we <sighs> were like, there's this type of, and this is not a, a take to take offense to it, but you had this delusion that you were going to be that hero. You are that hero. Or you've watched those guys as, as they were. Like the, who was it, Chris Reeves? That, Steve Reeves. Steve Reeves. That you saw as the iconic, throws the, breaks the chains, gets yeah, yeah, out, yeah, yeah. and is You're the right. hero of everything. But the delusion was so strong, strong. that yeah. you came from nothing. You had no support, no right. money, no education. But yet you still said there will be nothing that will stand in my way of being that guy on the screen, mm-hmm. being the star. Mm-hmm. How did you even continue that delusion? Because, you know, eventually some people are saying, well, that's a dream. It's going to die. It's not going to be well, working out Well, because we're talking about the fact that you went to New York and you, you know, were knocking on every single door. People were rejecting you. You would try to go on stage and maybe you get a role in something, but barely anything. You'd create yeah, all these films, but you would, you would keep writing and right. and you would just get no, 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 no. Right. But a lot of people, most people end it there, but you didn't. No. Then what was it? That's a very, that's, that's a real conundrum because... I didn't, I just thought it was impossible for me to do anything that would be just considered regular, normal. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. didn't think I had the brain for it or the discipline. Right. It, oh, and, then I, and I had such a kind of fixation on doing something heroic or special. Like I thought, oh, I want to be a great coach. Mm. How can I be, I never played a sport in my life, so I, it's like... That and then I thought, oh, I'm, I'd like to be a great horse trainer. I didn't have any horses, but I always looked. I thought I cannot do anything normal, and it bothered me. Mm-hmm. It really bothered me. I, I would be so ADD and so uh, consumed with daydreaming. Yeah. Okay. And I mean bad daydreaming. Like where I would be sitting there and in the class, and I don't know. I don't remember. I went to three and a half years of college. I don't remember one day. Well, neither do I. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I went to the Ring Theater and uh, tried to do some acting, and they go, mm, you really don't have it, mm. but why don't you learn to work backstage, like moving furniture? Yeah, and right. I did, and then mm-hmm. it was right. it. But I've, I'll tell you, girls, I've found those, those important rejections and failures to be the best thing that ever happened because it forces you to either quit mm-hmm. or say, you know, maybe they're right. I want to try another direction. Maybe I'm not that good an actor. And perhaps I wasn't. But I want to be in the business of, I want to try to write. Yeah. Right. And I was terrible. Terrible writer. I don't think I ever passed English an English course in my life. Mm. Ever. Ever. But I kind of had a feeling of what people would like in stories, which is like hope. Right. Happiness. Uh, overcoming. It's kind of a... A mythological thing is like the hero comes through, and right, and I thought that I can relate to as opposed to too much realism. Mm-hmm. I hated realism. Mm-hmm. Right. I hate it because the reality is realism is sad. Yeah, I, I want to really get sad. in. I really want to get into your writing, but nah. what we're talking about right now, there's a big trend going around. 
And it's sounding like you originated this trend. It's called, what is it, main character of your life? (laughs) Basically, this is going around with our generation, and people are saying, you want to be the main character of your life. So everything you do, you do with confidence. You do it, nothing can stop you. No one's going to stand in your way. And you basically were the OG of owning your own destiny and, and believing it. And I think, you know, your goal and where you ended up is incredible story, but for the average person, being a Hollywood star yeah. is somewhat unobtainable. So what advice would you give to that person that doesn't feel like they can do it, isn't confident enough to finish it, or just something to help them not quit? Um, I don't—I I couldn't believe. I said, why would I— this person who doesn't know me is telling me I'm a failure. Right. Yeah. Who's he? Mm-hmm. Right. This person doesn't know me. You've met me for five minutes. Say, you know what? You're not right for this part. And it triggered something that what makes you know me better than I know myself? I and that kind of rejection. Mm-hmm. It you have it's fight. Or flight girls. Right. You either say you're a liar or I'm a liar and I'm going to prove perhaps you're lying. But the truth was, I wasn't right. They were right at mm-hmm. times, but I never quite gave in to it the whole time. Or if I failed, I'll tell you, I remember I went out for this part. Uh, it was the only play that Picasso wrote called Desire Caught by the Tail. It was very bizarre. It was mm-hmm. all, all his characters. And the part that I was supposed to play was the half man, half bull. So you were supposed to be a big, muscular guy. Right. Okay? The guy they hired was a big, muscular guy. I mean, he was perfect, mm-hmm. twice my size. And I said to the director, I think I can do this differently than him. Yeah. He goes, we need a big, muscular guy. I said, I, I'm going to pretend I'm a big, muscular guy. I'm going to act. Oh, and my gosh. I got the part. What? I... Got the part because inside, make it you make it. there was a certain ferocity, mm-hmm. yeah, and that came from my father. Is that that? I was just about this to ask this question. I finally understood, wow, I've got yeah. something going on in there that I don't have a lot of control over, but I know right. it's different. And that's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, was this inherited or was this learned? And I feel like a lot of this actions that you've made in, in the beginning, well, it was learned, but it was also inherited. He had this rage in him and that he right. he didn't want to get rejected. I mean, his whole life he was. And yeah. so he said, I'm not going to take this anymore from not my father, from anybody at this point. Right. But then it also was learned. I mean, you, you have to have this type of you know mentality to constantly tell yourself that I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to make yeah. it. I'm going to make it. Right. So I was going to ask you if you thought it was inherited or learned, but it seems like it's pretty much both for you. It is both. Yeah. I, I think you, you have personality, then you have character. Personality is what you, you know, you copy your father, you copy your mother, yeah. she speaks a certain way, you mm-hmm. say, oh, you have the same accent. That's mm-hmm. personality. Right. Character is like looking into a, a, a playpen of 10 dogs. Each one is different. It's the same litter. Right. But there's 10 different personalities, mm-hmm. and that's called character. And I'm telling you, I never, I never doubted for a second that I didn't fit in. In other words, I knew I was different, not talented or whatever, but I said, I'm, I was always, I don't know if I ever told you, but I was shot once in the arm. Huh? Yeah, I was shot once. 
It was weird. I went to a. a did mom, mom, did you know he was shot? She I said did. no. I, I Hold shot. on. <laughs> this is shot. breaking news on the Unlocks podcast. Saw a small little scar there. What? No, she but, said your eyes are wide. <laughs> what true. is going on? Well, I don't tell you everything, honey. I mean, it's okay, only so, 36 years. We got, got it. I got to keep some secrets. <laughs> cool, not so what happened is I went to a church dance. I didn't know anyone there. Okay. But I just saw a dance and I went in. And this is the story of my life in a nutshell. For some reason, there's a group of guys over there. Tough-looking guys. I'm alone. I don't know anyone in this dance. Maybe there's 500 people. Of all the 500 people, they zero in on me. Oh, of course. Guy walks over to me, a big Italian guy. He's like, hey, get out of here, or we're going to smack you in the face. Quote. I'm looking around. I didn't do anything. He hits oh, me God. hard. And I went, Whoa. And I'm telling you, I went around, I'm looking around for help. There's no one there. And I put my tail between my legs like an abject coward. And I started walking away. And I was probably three or four blocks away going past this parking lot. And I stopped. I said, I can't, I, I can't live with this. I, I cannot live the rest of my life knowing that some stranger came up and hit me hard for nothing. So you got to do something. What? Go back in. Go back in. So I turn around. Oh, gosh. I go back in, into the church. There's the dance. The music is going. I see this guy. He's standing with his and he's laughing, mocking, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I smacked this guy. I hope you smacked him. I hope you did. I turn around. Bang. I crack him. Oh, He goes, uh. Oh, shoot. But he was so big, it barely hurt him. And he comes roaring at me. So... A priest gets in the way. He hits the priest. What? Oh, yeah. And then they all start chasing after me. And I'm jumping over fences. They're jumping over fences. They were from, actually from Rocky's neighborhood. It was called Kensington. Full These, circle moment. Full circle. They full were circle. badasses. Oh, my so gosh. So I finally made it to my house. Yeah. And they knew where I lived. And they were waiting and waiting. They would call the cops. Cops said, well, they're not doing it. Every time we come, they drive away. Mm-hmm. And then one night I slipped out and they followed me. And I went going to this bowling alley and I started running. And, Pow! <gasps> and I, they shot me through the tricep. Oh, and my I, gosh. Yeah, and, and Wait, I, how old were you? 16. And I, and I kept going and going and going. And finally, after the shot. Yeah. Then the police came, and then I said, it's these maniacs. And, of course, they were gone, but they never came back because they were scared away. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine? So I, I, really, I always had these moments where, for some reason, I was the guy the that people. got into trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either that guy. Yeah. It's just nonstop in school. Yeah, he's the troublemaker. He's that. So yeah. I go, you know, you sort of stand out, right? <laughs> that was the defining way, moment. <laughs> in a well, bad way. Did you ever get annoyed that maybe because of your childhood upbringing, now you have this rage, you sort of became a street thug guy, and then you started getting cast as only that role? Did yeah. that ever bother you? That- yeah, it, it did because I saw myself as. A funnier person, right. kind of humorous. I would do jokes. I wasn't super social. I mean, I, I lived in New York for four years and never left my room. I never went to a bar, a restaurant, a dance, New Year's Eve. Was that anxiety or was that just... No, I just never felt 
compelled to do it. I don't know why. I would write and I would sit there and watch. I had this black and white TV. But I just didn't feel like I fit in. Like, what do mm-hmm. I walk into a bar with a bunch of strangers? I know what's going to happen. Right. Because <laughs> it happened again later on. That's another story. Oh, oh my God. In the 70s, it was a bad one. Of course. <laughs> but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. I um, I want to talk about Lords of Flatbush. Because, why? Because that okay. is your ultimate cool-ass Role. Really? Honestly, I thought you were so cool. And seeing you back then all baby face in a leather jacket, I feel like <laughs> I can now put a picture to all of the stories that you've been telling us over the years. Yeah. But what I found was so interesting about the documentaries, well, that was your first introduction into writing anything. Right. When you began to rewrite your lines right. and rewrite them better. Right. Do you think that if you had never spoken up in that moment and said to the director, hey, I'm going to improvise, I'm going to rewrite my lines, there ever would be a Rocky? Because you wouldn't oh, have known. Because wow. honestly, what if what if you said nothing and then you wouldn't have had that confidence to go write a script? I think it was that confidence. You're that, absolutely right. Oh, thank that, you. That, no, Knew seriously. That, <laughs> because um, it was a very, it was an okay play. Yeah. But my character was just uh, kind of like a dumbbell. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, He's got to have some sensitivity mm-hmm. on the outside. And that's what the way I was portrayed in real life. I'm not really that way. I look it, but I also have a very sensitive side. And I thought, if I have this girlfriend and she needs to be married, and I don't want to get married, and then she gets impregnated and I buy her a ring, the audience is going to say, yeah, he is a bum and a thug. Mm-hmm. But God, he's, he's really nice to the girl. Mm-hmm. In other words, there was something there. And I've always believed that. And then I realized at that point, that was my goal in life. Mm-hmm. And if I had never done that, to, to play those kind of characters, I knew yeah. I was never going to be like the Hugh Jackman. or the, I'm yeah. never going to play the, the boyfriend, the lover. The, I'm always that guy. I, I remember Woody Allen goes through a crowd. He goes, God, who's, it looks like, he looks like a thug. And I was picked out of like 100 people to chase Woody Allen and beat him up. Same thing with Jack Lemmon. I was always the guy, it's, no matter how much I tried. Yeah. So when I wrote Rocky, I want to write, don't judge a book by our cover. Leather hat, gloves, mm-hmm. whatever. But inside, he's like a softie. But he didn't start out that way, and that mm-hmm. was so interesting, is when you mentioned in the, the documentary yeah. how yeah. someone read it and they cried because they said, Rocky's they a thug. It. And that's how you viewed yourself, mm-hmm. because if Rocky is you, you thought you were the thug. You thought that that's what people saw you as. And then the moment that someone caught it and said, hey, where's the heart? That's when Rocky was born, truly. Okay, I'll tell you what happened, is the typist said, I hate it, crying, he's such a bully, he's this and that. And I don't care what people say, you are the product of what come, what came before you. In other words, influences. Mm-hmm. This podcast, oh, there was a person who did that, I like to borrow a little from that. Then went. So you're always taking things, like mm-hmm. Picasso said, and you find your own style. No one's born with like, oh, this genius style. They are the product of many influences, yeah. good or bad. So this, <laughs> so with the Rocky character, I went, God, you know, I'm, you know what? I was copying De Niro in oh. Mean Streets, who was very mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was kind of soulless, tough guy. Well, it was probably and that easier. was his character. Yeah. See what I mean? Right. And I went, why don't I just 
that's really not me. I was trying to be overly New Yorker actory. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be this guy. And I, I mean, I had, I was so nuts. I wanted Rocky to look like all beat up. I actually glued my nose. Dog. Oh, on my life. You surprise, so surprise. Crazy. I went out and bought colostomy bag glue. You know and what colostomy wait, bag is? No. Stop. Well, stop. Stop. Why would we know that? That's okay. Well, some people have trouble pooping because oh. they have intestinal problems. <laughs> That's great. And they put a bag here. Oh, and they glue oh, it. I know. Exactly. I know. I didn't know what that was called. Well, okay. It's very okay. powerful glue. Yeah. So I glued my nose because it's crooked anyway. It's been broken. Something like this. And I looked, so I auditioned like this. Yeah, and you're wondering why they were like, we're going to pay you This is not going to work. I looked like such a monster killer. Take the glue off and perhaps maybe be a little nice. nice. You have a dog, you have this, you have goldfish. But no, I was like... Hey, I look terrifying. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I now don't I even bend know. my nose straight. At, here we go. That's crazy. Oh, I never told you that. Yeah. No, I never knew no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry I told everyone. Yeah, well, you're you're know, full of mystery. Oh, colostomy you're face. That's full right, 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 right. <laughs> One of the things I really loved um, yeah. about the documentary, and it's something Sophie and I can heavily relate to growing up, is your tape recorder. And yeah. you recorded everything. And as Sophia had mentioned before, when you were describing Rocky, as you were listening back to your digital diary, we'll call yeah. it, you weren't able to admit that it is a love story. Because maybe at the time, you didn't understand or love. couldn't grasp what love was. No, I did Was there ever a moment when you were filming Rocky One with Adrian, and at that point, when you're in that scene, you're not Sly, you're Rocky, and she's truly Adrian. Do you think that was maybe your first experience of love. The show today is sponsored by BetterHelp. I have recently been on my own therapy journey and I cannot express how much it has changed my life, especially with the holidays coming up. It's the end of the year, lots of family gatherings. Mm -hmm. It can be a really overwhelming time. Yeah, and I've been in therapy and I totally understand where Sistine's coming from. I'm really proud of her for sharing this. And I think it's important to know that, you know, it's okay to ask for help. And so that is why we are so excited to be working with BetterHelp because BetterHelp is a super convenient, fast, affordable way all online to find a therapist. So you take a test and then they pair you up with a licensed therapist. And the best part is, is if you're not compatible with your therapist, free of charge, they can switch you up and find one that's more suited for you. So if you want in on this amazing deal we are giving you guys, visit betterhelp.com slash unwaxed for 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp.com slash unwaxed for 10% off. Find the brightness in your holiday season. Ho, ho, ho. I, I can't honestly say that I ever went into it mm. as a love story. Okay. I thought he loved this woman, mm -hmm. but... I still saw it as kind of like a fight film, a boxer, tough guy, yeah. masculine movie. That's what I was making. And then this thing happened. Right. Which is after it came out. I went, oh, my God, you, you fool. That's what made this is her. Mm -hmm. Right. Not the boxing, the love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what I was going to ask was, like, so who was revelation. she? Yeah, like, who was she to you? Because if you didn't if you didn't have any love, you created a love story unintentionally. unintentionally. What, what was Adrian like, Maybe representing your in your life? She was just, what she represented to me was another outcast. 
Mm-hmm. She was an outcast. I was an outcast. I related to her. Originally, I wrote it with not Adrian in mind. It was a different, tougher person, mm. much harder individual. Right. Almost like a female me. And all those actresses bailed out, like met Cher and Bette Midler. Go, Cher was supposed to be in Rocky? Number one choice. Really? What? Yeah. And then Bette Midler had done The Rose, and she was like, I thought this would be kind of interesting. She could be streety and tough. Mm-hmm. And they turned me down, too, which I don't blame them. I was nobody. <laughs> and finally, then Susan Sarandon turned it down. Mm-hmm. A lot. But she was, I think she was, like, too attractive to play the part back then. Right. And then in walks Talia Shire, and the ceiling almost fell on my head. I went, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. This was a combination of everything. Right. And... That's why. What are you looking at me like that for? No, you know what? That's really interesting that you just said that. Because you're the type of person where your instinct is so good and spot on whenever we do anything artistic or creative that you just know. So, what you just said about when she walked into the room, the ceiling almost fell down. Yeah. That's literally how you described mom when she walked into the room for the first time. Did I? When you just yeah. know. You say the earth shakes. You know. oh, oh, she, she ran, ran away. out of here. She's too nervous. It's true. Same no, thing. but that's what it yeah. is. Earth shakes. You yeah. just, but yeah. your your gut is so accurate, which is yeah. crazy because I sometimes trust my gut. I'm saying, well, fooled me again. That's not correct. Because you haven't hit the, you haven't hit the bullseye yet. You, okay. When you hit the bullseye, your body's just going to shake. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's 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 hard to describe. It, it almost takes your breath away. This person is so unique. I didn't even ask her to audition. Not that I deserve to ask anybody to audition. I'm perfect. Yeah. Wow. Up because she was just perfect. Yeah. Right. I said I can't do any better. And luckily, uh, it was all the cast was just perfect. I just find it crazy. I just thought about this, how you wrote it in three days. I just It's still shocking to me that something so massive it's was written. It's not that hard. Because, well, how, how do you not think it's hard? I'm not a perfectionist. A lot of it was sloppy and useless, but I knew I would get it the second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth time around. I think the most important thing in anything we do, not just writing, anybody, is just get to the end zone. Mm-hmm. I don't care how. And then you can fix it second time around. So I knew writing as I'm going, just get to the ending, get to the final scene, get to the point where you say, I love you, I love you, and the scene is over. Done, movie. Then you can start to fix it. But I find the majority of people, myself included, that you're looking for procrastination. You're looking for distraction. And it takes 10 months to write a screenplay. A year, sometimes you never finish. And I've right. been that, that person too. So I tell people, I don't care how bad it is, write 10 pages of garbage, mm-hmm. but it's 10 pages you actually sat oh, down and accomplished. But what, what would you tell someone that is really just lagging and they're taking a while and they're procrastinating? Because you were the type of person that went to the extreme and blocked out his windows and didn't leave for three days in a row. Now... How do you find that almost fire in your belly to not stop and get it done? You really want to know? Yes. I would call it kind of like um, mirror psychoanalysis. Mirror psychoanalysis. 
I'm going to sound like such a maniac here. We can cut it if you don't like it. No, (laughs) I, I would find myself just sitting there procrastinating. And then I would get up in the mirror and I'd look at myself. I said, you know what you are? You're a lazy piece of shit. You're fucking useless. I hate your guts. You'd rather sit there and do nothing. You know why? Because you're a fucking coward. And I would tear, like, I'm literally fighting myself, challenging, humiliating myself. Interesting. I said, sit down. I'm going to slap you so hard across your face, you goddamn coward. And it it became, it's like me and my father talking. I was going to say And I would intimidate myself. I said, sit down. I don't feel like it. I'll break every bone in your face. Go and sit on that goddamn chair and do what you can do. I don't give a shit if it's bad. Get on the table. Wow. And I mean, I was really violent. Yeah. I'm not joking. And this kind of weird analysis of just intimidation. Yeah. It's kind of sometimes when you see a coach mm-hmm. go berserk on a player because he knows that player has it in right. him, but he's just not digging deep enough. Yeah. And he humiliates this guy. Mm-hmm. The guy goes, and then he, it that breaks him. Yeah. And, I'm no, sorry, I'm just, it's it's funny. Be, that's what I would do. You know, no, it's funny because in our generation, a lot of people go into the daily affirmations. I'm 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 a victim to that, but where you talk to yourself positively and you say no, all the good no, things, no, no, no. and it's that's funny different. because honestly, no. it's so true. Because sometimes when you get told, but be gentle on exactly. yourself. No, Dad, you can't be gentle. You gotta. I'm telling you, I, I'm a product of intimidation. Of course, I right. felt it my whole. I know what intimidation is, and I know what it can do. Yeah, right. It'll get you off your ass, trust me. A hundred percent. Because you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to be hurt. And then you actually are so embarrassed that you're not performing. Mm -hmm. uh, Let me put it this way. I shame myself Mm. into performing. Interesting. But it gets harder when you get older because now you start getting successful. You don't feel like beating yourself yourself up. But I still do it at times. Still today. Oh, yeah. Like if I'm doing a scene... And before Tulsa King or whatever, and I have to really get it up. I, I mean, I get in there and I just rip myself to pieces. Wow. And I'm on, when I come out to that set, I'm, I look calm, but I'm, I'm exploding inside. When you are wow. having that conversation with yourself in the mirror, yeah, do you hear your voice speaking to you or your dad's voice? Uh oh. Welcome to therapy. It's not me. It's not you. Well, okay, let's let's fast forward a little bit because if we're on this. I shouldn't say it. It's my adult me is I, I can't give total onus or blame someone else because I've heard Hold that on. voice. I'm gonna blame him. Sorry. You well, you put, sorry. he put it's, the rage in you, so yeah. it's not like that's a surprising thing for you to say. It's him. But I have mixed feelings about that too. Okay. I mean, we had some, I used to say to him, I wish we were the same age for five minutes. Mm. He goes, why? He's probably 65. I said, I just would like to pound your head through a wall Mm. like you did me. He goes, why wait? Do it. I'm right here. God, he's so manipulative. No, but he was so tough. So not even tough. And then I started laughing like, God damn, that didn't work. He (laughs) he just really could not be intimidated. No, he's he's stone. This guy is stone. So he's the real deal. Rocky's a success. You're at the top of the mountain. It's fantastic. Rambo comes into the picture, and I always looked at it like Rocky was your emotional. Rocky's one of the saddest days of my life. 
Why? When it came out. Because, here we go. I should put this in some book someday. I was, here a year before I was destitute. I had nothing. I was broke. And it came out. And a miracle happened. And I'm with some of the best films in Hollywood. I'm like, God, I'm in the same category as best picture. And these guys are great writers and great Scorsese, just great people. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a front row seat. And I invited my mother. Mm -hmm. And she goes, I'm like, uh, you want me to go with you? I go, I'm up for an Oscar. Yesterday, I, mean, I, was, I was a bum a year ago. She goes, all right, but you have to invite Vivian. I go, who's Vivian? She goes, my hairdresser. I don't have a seat for your hairdresser. It's you and me, front row at the Oscars. Oh, she my goes, gosh. If you don't invite Vivian, I'm not coming. I go, you haven't seen Vivian in 10 years. She lives in Washington, D.C. He says, I want to see Vivian with me, and then I'll go. Well, she didn't go. So you went alone? Mm hmm I think I invited my brother or another guy. But, yeah, that was... was so I have... When people go, ah, you must have loved the Oscars, they go, not so Not really. Was there ever wow. one time, and I'm not even going to say Rocky, in your entirety of your acting career, that they ever acknowledged how proud they were of you? No. Not once. Uh, you mean them? Yeah. <sighs> no. But didn't mm -hmm. that kill you? Because I think as Sophia and I are going through this right now where we feel our responsibility as your daughter yeah. is to make our parents proud. And that one day when they're all gone, they'll leave this earth knowing that they raised incredible kids that did something well yeah. and something that you can look back on and be happy about. And now you are quite literally flipping what your world was coming into it and mm -hmm. making something incredible. Didn't that kill you for them to not acknowledge this is a one in a billion you are what you're doing right now? I, I, yeah, that, that was evident to me. But the difference is, girls, you were raised so much differently, such a loving mother. My skin was like scar tissue. In other words, mm -hmm. after right. a while, it, it rolls off your back. And yeah. You know, nah, what did I expect? You know, it's, you know, I knew that was yeah. coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. You become impervious. Become, yeah. Immune know, to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and that's like, the kind of thing. You expected it. It, it would be I shocking did. if he, she it's said, shocking if it, she if said she's proud. Yeah. Way, hey. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's just the opposite. So you get to the top. I was going to ask you what your moment that you recall that you knew your life was going to change completely. I don't know if there was like a specific moment, but we can go past that. But you get to the top. And now, almost now, you're trying to find the validation or whatever it is through the critics, through the reviews, through the audience. And you see that the mountain, because you said some sort of, um, you said some sort of 
I don't know what it analogy. was, but analogy about the mountain being high, but it sucks up there, or yeah, you know, the air is thin, lonely at the top. So lonely how, the so top. how was that pressure? You know, when you get to the top, you're doing all these films. You do Rocky, you do Rambo, and you're at the top, and now they're expecting more, 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 and then you get fist turns into junk, and stop where my mom will shoot, and all of these other films that kind of Oscar that were kind of flops. How did you, you know? maneuver that because now you have things to lose you know it's a different type of scenario than it was before uh i think a lot of it i maybe brought it on myself i didn't think about the project enough or perhaps i was a bit belligerent and i think i overcorrected when rocky hit it was like see i knew i, I told you i told you i told you i proved it is that kind of a thing yeah which turned a lot of people off, and I get that, but it never. I I don't. It never brought me like uh, real happiness. Like mm. yeah, right. I, I didn't actually. To this day, I, it's very hard to revel in success. Mm. Like, I swear to you, if a if a movie like oh yeah, first play came out, it's a big hit. I appreciate it, and never think about it again. Yeah, are, no, I just, it's like. Uh, are you obsessed with continuing to push the box, do more, bigger cast, bigger explosion, more surgery, more pain, more money, more reviews, more audience? Like, <laughs> was was that ever happening? Because, you know. It, yeah, it is. It is, but it's in a different um, format. For example, you say more injuries. During the filming of this thing, you know, we're talking about back injuries. I had five. During the filming, I had two more. So I have seven from literally just in the making of Sly. But truthfully, I, I, I don't seek out any more grandeur, self-grandizement. Mm -hmm. What I really want to do is be, I guess, a mentor. I, I would love to have a production company where I can bring in young me's mm. or other people that uh, that were perhaps slighted and say, you know, your story is foolish, and, and right. go, it's not foolish. Maybe you need to do this, and maybe right. you need, and I can use all this hard come by knowledge yeah. to build something, and I can say, oh, carry on. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I seek that for you girls. I, I, I seek it for all young artists. I, I don't have anything to prove, really. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I do. I mean, there's some but vacancies in there. But I want to do something that's not, say, all about me. I say, here's what I've learned, and I want you to take it yeah. and use it. Mm -hmm. I can help you with this. I can guide. I can be... Dare I say it? Parental. Right. <laughs> I, I have to say that's really refreshing to hear. It's true. Because I know, and I believe you. I swear to you. I, I believe everything you're saying. There was, um, there was a time, I want to say in about 2003, and up, up until before this, you are the biggest celebrity in the world. Everyone knows your name. You have millions of fans worldwide. Oh, stop. Okay, now I'm not going <laughs> to blow smoke up your butt anymore what? but you were what? and you have it all you marry mom yeah you have three daughters you have a home you have an influx of love that is coming at you from every angle and there was a period around i want to say 2003 or 4 where you 
didn't work and you couldn't book a job. I think maybe around eight, seven, eight years. Nothing. And what I found so interesting about your documentary is the amount of parallels. And this particular parallel is one that the audience doesn't know because mm. we lived it with you. Uh-huh. So this is private knowledge. But it's not bad. It's, it, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, Jennifer. No, listen, I thought it was fascinating because it made me understand why you did what you did. Mm-hmm. So for those eight years when we were growing up and you weren't working, that yeah. killed you. Yeah. And what you did was you'd go into the movie theater, lock yourself in there mm-hmm. for 10, 12, maybe more hours a day and just watch film. And when you explained in the beginning of a documentary how when you were lost, you didn't know who you were, you wanted something or someone to look for, some guidance, you'd go to the movie theater and you'd stay there all day. Right. And I just thought that was such an interesting comparison. I said, maybe you were doing reverted the same back. thing. You reverted back to the way you were when you were a child, oh God, looking for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <We're>, I guess <laughs> you go back to We're it. half you, so. No, <laughs> no, maybe you go back to that womb. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think you were subconsciously trying to find yourself again. That's the only solace I could find. I, I felt so useless, really useless. You know, you've been at the top. And, wow, that was a rough time. So I can, I, you know, in one way, people say, oh, I'm glad it happened. No, I'm not glad it happened. Mm-hmm. But it made me a much better performer. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and much more sensitive because I realized this is what life is. Mm-hmm. This is what people, they don't have this, you know, happy Hollywood ending. Right. And it kills me because that's why I like, up endings because life usually doesn't end that way. So why do you have to go out and spend money and see it and, and feel bad? Because I feel bad enough walking in here. I don't need to, you to make it worse. Yeah. That's my simple philosophy. It doesn't exactly go along with true art. Right. But I never said I was going to make true art. Yeah, and it's ironic that with that period of not working and being in the you know the movie theater for so many hours you came back by writing Rocky Balboa, which was basically the thing that started you in the first place. So you went back to the first thing that you got you to the top, and when you're at the bottom again, you brought Rocky back into the picture, and you said it was your most proud work. By far, because uh, nobody wanted to do it. I I felt so worthless, and I was so embarrassed to be your father, to tell you the truth, because... you didn't even know what I did, basically, for a living. We saw your spy kids. Yeah, so you, you saw you know, the toy maker. Like, what does my father do for a living? He just wanders around looking depressed. And I realized you, you, people that you thought were your friends mm-hmm. are not your friends. When the good times go away, that's when you find out your family is so important. Because I'm telling you, the ship sailed on me. It was pretty yeah. bad. It was pretty bad, but I took all that in, and I thought, you know, if this is, if I'm done, and I thought I was, I was definitely done. Phone wasn't ringing, it was done. I, I was so embarrassed because people did not understand Rocky Five. Rocky Five was about more of the more real situations that you're so desperate to not be a failure for your family that Rocky basically gave up his fan because he wanted to get glory again, even if it was through another man right. that he for you know, his son he gave up, his, his wife, he was this and that. And 
I wasn't, I was not smart enough to realize that's not what people wanted to Mm -hmm. see because that's what happens. Right. You know, that's a little too real. Right. And I said, if I can just go back and do one more, because I never thought I'd ever do another movie again, but in my fantasy, I want to do Rocky Balboa, which is about loss, about Mm -hmm. grief which is the hardest thing in the world to live with, girls, I swear yeah. to you. Oh, shit. It, it's, it's hard. I think... Anyway, yeah. I don't know why all of a sudden you get traumatic like that. It's, you know, some shit just comes up. And you... I said, how can I write a story that I portray that kind of... Sadness, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but in the end, it's, you purge yourself of it. And that's what Rocky Balboa is about. He loses his wife, he loses everything. And people have, you know, they, they, that's what they experience. But in the end, he purges himself with what he says. I want to get rid of this old pain and put in some new pain. Mm -hmm. I don't want that, those memories anymore. And it worked. It really worked well. And, uh, that's my proudest moment because nobody wanted to do it. And they actually said, you're done. Rocky's right. done. I'm going, these are people that represented me. Mm-hmm. That were like, I paid lots of money. Right, to, right. And, and I went, wow, you really are yeah. on your own. And I want you girls to know that your best friend has got to be you. I'm serious. It's great to have best friends and parents or whatever, but... You, then I got, and I did that thing I told you about in the mirror, and I said, you come back, you fight, yeah. you get off your knees, you stop feeling sorry for yourself, and you write the best words you've ever written, and I think it is by far. Yeah. Rocky one, I think, has the element of surprise, but Rocky six is the best that I can, I, I, I can't do any better. It's like, yeah. uh, and I thought... And then it was kind of like, oh, it's just another rock. And I'm like, oh, God, you guys No, I mean, I think the way that you wrote it, maybe they didn't see it the same. No, because no, they no, didn't. That's, that's how you express your emotions yeah. is through storytelling, is through writing. I mean, yeah. you wanted to address something to mom. You wrote her a love letter. Like everything <laughs> you did was not conventional, but it was through a story. Right. But I also feel like there was something I wrote down. I really wanted to ask you this question because... I've seen a lot of the documentary, what you've mentioned a few right. times was the word regret. A lot yeah. of times in the first first scene of your documentary, you basically mention how, you know, regrets, even when you were broke, people, you know, offered you money. You almost took it, but you didn't want to regret not having right. that opportunity. I mean, when you were not working for eight years, you didn't yeah. want to re- regret not putting in the effort to create this You're new exactly film. Exactly right. Is regret the driving force? Without a doubt. Then it's fear because regret breeds fear. Or yeah. it's like, oh my god, I, I, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life, and right. I'm so afraid of that feeling because I know what it's like. Because you can't fix it. You yeah. can't fix yesterday. You can only fix tomorrow. And so it's one of my that and redemption. I would say. Sadly, redemption is, it comes along very infrequently. Yeah. You have forms of redemption, you're, but it's never, you're never whole. It's like, I wish I had listened to my elders. Mm-hmm. And like, cause yeah. 
your parents, not my parents, but some parents would give you all the keys to life. Like we would tell you, don't do that. Right. And you go, ah, it's different, our generation. And <laughs> it's like, and I truly believe that's nature's way of mm-hmm. you learning. Unfortunately, you have to learn your way. You can't take my experience yeah. and live through it. Right. It's a different experience, a different year, different time, different music. But we want for our kids, go, don't stick your hand in the fire, it's going to burn. It goes, oh, come on, Dad. Ouch. God, he was right. Right. Well, you can take that and magnify it a thousand times, and that's regret mm-hmm. that you didn't pay attention. Yeah. Do you think you were able to purge a lot of that regret when you finished Rocky Six, Or do you think you still hold on to a lot of the trauma and... It, it comes and goes. It it comes in waves. You know, you, you think everything is fine. That's why uh, you never really purge yourself mm-hmm. of memories. You can sort of you know, play music loud and be surrounded yeah. by hundreds of friends, but then the music goes and you're living in a quiet room and you have that. Mm-hmm. But you just got to go. That's part of life. Regrets, sadness discipline, depression. Yep. It's yeah. all part of life. And they didn't give you a handbook. They should have told you. If I told you at 10 years old, you're going to be miserable someday. You're going to be like, God damn. And then you're going to be so happy, you won't even know why. Right. Wake up in the morning. Some days you wake up in the morning, you have a nice sleep, and you're in a bad mood. Yeah. Mm. Why? Right. It's. I'm telling you, it's so complex, this thing. Yeah. Yeah that you can only sort of play games with it and, and, and manage it. Go, okay, I'm never going to be happy mm-hmm. all the time. Deal with it. Right. I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to be envious. It happens. I always thought it's so interesting when you see the dead, seven deadly sins or mm-hmm. uh, the Ten Commandments, like don't do this and don't do that. It's because our natural instinct is to do those things. Right, yeah. It's like... It's that's why they even the, the wise men wrote it back then. We have this propensity to do not such healthy things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you go, but that's the that's the character of the brain. That's why it's so great to have a dog or whatever because they don't have those thoughts. Right, truly, <laughs> they're not that complex. Right. Where did that conversation go? <laughs> well, I, I want to sort of tying into that. You always taught us growing up. You always said time is our greatest currency. currency. Yep. It is. It is. And um, that's something I think Sophie and I live by tremendously just Do because. Do you really? Yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's the essence of survival. If you blow your currency, mm-hmm. you can't get it back. It isn't like, oh, I can take a loan. Do I get an extra 10 years? No. Well, I'm going to follow that with a very loaded question that's going to be extremely difficult to answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. If, if possible, looking back on your entire career as a whole, where do you think you wasted the most time? Where does that regret lie? Oh, that's not complicated. Oh. When I started to to rely upon other people's works or suggestions from certain advisors, this is good for your career, this is that, try this and try that. And you're trusting mm-hmm. their instincts. And 
that's where you make your mistakes because if, if you don't feel it like like I told you like you know when I saw your mother something was like boom if you don't have it committed say I love this this I would do this for free and I, and I recommend every actor to do this and every artist please learn every aspect of your business first of all the business of business mm-hmm. uh, be a hyphen learn to direct try to learn to produce if you don't even do it learn how to do it because if you're just a solitary performer then you're always going to be at someone's behest they'll tell you what to do yeah back like, and call oh i got something for you if, or otherwise you just sit there and you wait like like this yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. please and and I found that to be the the most important lesson is trying to learn every aspect of this business. Don't be so complacent and no. think, oh, I'm just going to be a one finger piano player. Right. I want to be a ten finger piano player. Yeah, it makes you stronger, and it makes you also more of a weapon. And I know that Sistine and I, we've definitely learned that coming through the business that we, from you guys, from yeah. you and mom, right. that knowing all angles, knowing every single corner, it's fun too. It's, it's fun, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that also holds true for life. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was a poem written, and I think this really sums up my life, by Robert Frost. It goes, we all dance around in a ring, it's a pose, but only the answer sits in the middle of the nose. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get to it. You're going to go, what is life? Dancing around, I suppose, I think, you think, you have a philosophy, you have a philosophy, everyone has a different thing. But no one has, what is life? Mm-hmm. Because there's 8 billion people, there's 8 billion different interpretations of what life is. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. Am I depressing? No, no, I just, I have, I have one final question. And That's again, it? no, and I'm so sorry. I think, honestly, this interview... It's so, terrible. No. No, it's great. The opposite. I, I was going to say, I wish we had three more well, hours to say, keep going. Well, no, and I have to say, anytime, no, but I have know. to say, which, which, and this is something that I think people were the most shocked by watching this documentary. Because I know Sistine got this from people. I got this from people. Is the fact that speaking of trying on hats and knowing every single right. angle of your industry is that you did it all. You've written. You've you've directed. You acted. They People really didn't understand that you were a part of every single, you know, angle of your work. You, you didn't just give it to someone. You created it, and you are the creator. It, it is, it's remarkable, and it's rare. And I think that that was something that we were so proud to hear from people was that they were crying because they didn't realize your you were, past. You and, were just very unexpected. They yeah, weren't, they weren't exactly. expecting you to be so smart and so wise. Thank and so girls. going off of what you just mentioned about lessons you're learning in life, to wrap up this incredible interview, what's one lesson that you can leave your daughters today? Oh, my God. About, uh, just a life lesson from all Jesus, your years of learning. Oh. I don't know. It's like the lesson lies in learning. And then by teaching people what you know, you also be taught because they'll tell you things. So the lesson lies in learning, and by teaching, you'll be taught. I know that's very ambiguous, but it's that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Not thinking you know 
everything. Because how boring mm-hmm. would that life right. be? Mm-hmm. You don't be the smartest person in the room. What is that old saying that he who says he knows? Right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't. Doesn't know. <laughs> and he who says he doesn't know, knows. That's so important. I love I think that. I know everything. Yeah. And I realize. You no. know nothing. <laughs> you know, you know, back to the drawing board. That's why, you know, you see me always looking for it. It's like odd, useless facts, but I find it fascinating that I don't know all these things. Don't lose your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, I don't know. Never lose your curiosity, said the cat. (laughs) You truly are curious, the cat. Oh, my God. We love you. This this totally exceeded our expectations. Are you serious? But also, we're so proud of you. This documentary is beautiful. Is there anything else you want us to ask you before we... Wrap up. Is there anything that in the documentary that was missing that you want to discuss? Is there because we can still we can do another five minutes if there's something you want to specifically be asked, and we can add it in. I I just um, I felt in the documentary. Mm-hmm. What? The oh, the pillow. We move your pillow oh. a little bit. That way, yeah, perfect. Oh, it's, it's fine now. Just... How's that? Is that okay? <laughs> it's better. Okay. No, it's, it's all right. So, yeah, is there anything that specifically you want um, us to ask you and we can input it? I I wanted, I, I didn't know all the things I thought I knew about myself. So watching the documentary, I think people have got to realize that they're not alone, that life is incredibly complex and a terrible mystery. It's the thing that can take you the highest, like love. Love is the only emotion that can take you to the highest pinnacles and drop you to hell. The only emotion mm-hmm. in, in the world. And I found that the more love you try to give to other people and stop being so hell-bent on persecuting yourself and feeling loveless, it just makes you feel, God, lighter, better. Mm -hmm. So I want you all to kiss yourself tonight (laughs) and be gentle on that sweet pillow. Oh, thank you. We definitely will. But I hope you know. You are so loved. And I we love, love you. you. I adore you. you. I would die for you, girls. We would right die now. for you. And so thank would you. we. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for coming um, on our show today. This is an incredible opportunity. We were it's not. It's beyond. We, we wrote four, how many pages? Four, five, six pages of Sophia notes. Sophia got the exclusive from Sly. What? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next Tuesday. And check out Sly, his documentary on Netflix. Oh, thank you, girl. I love you so much. Nah. And you too, my baby. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.